0: touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I am your host, Jonathan Strickland, and today I thought I would look back on a topic that we've covered a few times on Tech Stuff in multiple ways, and that's solar power. So we've talked about solar power in lots of different episodes. We covered the unlikely solar freaking roadways, which we felt were... uh. Unrealistic is probably the best way I can describe that, in our opinion. And then we also talked about the solar impulse airplane. We've talked about solar panels and their efficiency. Today I want to talk a little bit about solar towers, which is a different way of harnessing the sun's energy. And I think it's a really clever way as well, because it doesn't rely on sunlight hitting a panel. Obviously, the big, big drawback to that approach is when the sun isn't hitting a panel, you're not generating any electricity, right? So if it's super cloudy or if it's nighttime, if the sun is not able to hit the panel, the sunlight's not getting there, you have nothing to convert into electricity and your solar panels go on to be unused for that duration. So that can be really rough if you have a long stretch of overcast days or you live in a place where you don't get solar exposure uh, at your house because of maybe there are taller buildings around you or trees or whatever it may be. Maybe you have a north-facing house rather than a south-facing house here in the northern hemisphere. If you have a south-facing house in the northern hemisphere, you're going to get more solar exposure than a north-facing house. So solar panels have that drawback. There also There's efficiency issues with solar panels. When we talk about efficiency, what we mean is how much of the sun's energy can we actually convert into electricity and how much of it do we lose? How much of that energy bounces off the panel and we do not capture it? Most commercial solar panels, the kind that you would put on your house, the efficiency is around 11 to 15%, meaning that you're losing a lot, like 85% of that energy not is not converting into electricity. What that means is that you have to buy more solar panels to cover more space to collect more solar energy to generate enough electricity to meet your needs. Uh, obviously, if solar panels were 100% efficient, which is impossible, by the way, physically impossible, people have proved it with math, then if you, if it were 100% efficient, you wouldn't need as many solar panels in order to do what you need to do. That's just not the case in reality. So instead, uh, we often have to buy more than what we would like, cover a larger area, and even then, again, you're limited to collecting electricity or generating electricity, I should say, during the daylight hours. And electricity also is a use-it-or-lose-it kind of thing, meaning that if you don't have an immediate use for that electricity and you don't have a way to store it, you lose that electricity. You have to use it when it's generated, So you need to have some sort of battery system as well, so that in the times when you're not using the electricity you're generating, you can still save it for later use. And until recently, batteries have been really expensive for the home. But Tesla's Powerwall has kind of led a revolution in that space, and we're starting to see more affordable versions of batteries hit the home market. Okay, all of that's out of the way to just say that the traditional solar panel approach has its drawbacks. Now let's talk about solar towers because they take a totally different approach to harnessing electricity from the sun. And it's really pretty clever. And they can harness electricity or they can generate electricity day or night. So you might wonder, well, how is that possible? when when the earth rotates so that the sun is no longer shining on a solar tower, where's that electricity coming from? So here's the way it works. Now, I'm, I'm largely going to refer to a company called Solar Reserve, which is here in the United States. Solar Reserve is just one company that is building structures like these uh, around the world. So I don't mean to suggest they're the only one. I'm using them as the example because that so much of their information is available to actually read about and understand. So it's a really helpful uh, approach. Solar Towers, well, first of all, the name kind of gives away... The main feature, there's a tower at the center of this, uh, structure, or really multiple structures. So how tall are these towers? Well, according to Solar Reserve, the height of the tower and its thermal receiver, more on that in just a second, uh, tends to be 640 feet combined, or about 195 meters. So you've got this tower in a, a a large area. Uh, you want to have an area that gets a lot of solar exposure. Otherwise, this is not a practical way of generating electricity. So imagine like a desert, nice flat desert, lots of sunlight hitting that desert every typical day. And you have a tall tower with a receiver on the top of it. Now, that receiver is actually a series of dark panels, and these aren't solar panels, not in the way that you would put on top of your house. They are not converting sunlight into electricity directly. Rather, they are panels that transfer thermal energy. In other words, they're all about transmitting heat. So these panels uh, have 66 thin wall straight tubes in them. Those tubes are designed to conduct heat from the outside to the inside of that tower. And the tubes are made out of a steel alloy that's covered in a high-absorptivity black coating to maximize the amount of energy the panel can absorb. So you've got sunlight shining on this tower. Well, how is that enough to generate electricity? On its own, it's not. In fact, what you end up doing is surrounding the tower with mirrors. Now, Solar Reserve uses mirrors that they call heliostats. These heliostats are mounted on... Uh, arms essentially that allow them to track the motion of the sun that way the mirrors maintain the ideal angle to uh, to reflect the sun's light directly toward the top of that tower at that receiving point of the tower on those panels and we're talking about a lot of mirrors uh solar reserve has one area uh, it's called uh, the crescent dunes that's their their um tower that they have in the U.S. And the Crescent Dunes tower is surrounded by more than 10,000 mirrors covering a 1500 acre field. So this is a big operation. You've got to have a lot of open land for this to work. That's obviously one of the uh, potential drawbacks, right? That you need a place that's going to have a lot of solar exposure and you need to have enough space to make it make sense. But assuming you have both of those things, you can do something pretty incredible. So what these mirrors do is direct that sunlight up at those dark panels I was talking about. Remember, I mentioned there were 14. These 14 panels are divided up into two groups of seven. Uh, each group of seven represents kind of a circuit. And that circuit is not for electricity. It's rather for a circuit of pipes that are circulating liquid salts. So liquid salts are pretty cool, uh, <laughs> which is a weird way of putting it when you're talking about thermal energy. But liquid salts can hold on to more heat than water can and uh, can remain in liquid form. So in other words, they don't vaporize into steam. And what Solar Reserve does is it pumps around 5,800 gallons of liquid salts per minute through the receiver circuits that run back and forth across the inside of these black panels. So imagine you've got this really tall tower. At the top of the tower, you have these 14 dark panels. And then let's just take seven on one side. You've got seven of those dark panels on one side. On the inside of those panels, you would see this crisscrossing of a pipe that is circulating liquid salts through the pipe heat from the outside comes into the tower and it begins to heat those liquid salts running through that circuit. It's a simple heat transfer. And if you've listened to our podcasts about things like refrigerators and air conditioners, you know about, you know, how this, what the principles are, how how this is based. Same basic thing. You want to give as much surface area, you know, you want to you dedicate as much surface area as you can to heat and have the liquid salts cross over as much of that surface area as is possible to heat up the liquid salts. As the liquid salts move through the circuit, they become molten. So incredibly high temperatures. So the low side of the temperatures for these liquid salts is 550 degrees Fahrenheit or 288 degrees Celsius. That's the low end. That's that's the chilly side. If you want to talk about how hot they get, they can get up to 1,050 degrees Fahrenheit or 566 degrees Celsius. That's really impressive. And so you've got this massive amount of stored thermal energy. It's all inside the molten salts. So you've got a lot of heat stored up. What good is heat? Well, you can use heat to do the same thing that is done in power plants all over the world. You use heat to turn water into steam, and you use the steam to turn a turbine, which generates electricity. It's an incredibly simple idea. It's the basis of almost every other type of power plant, with the exception of things like solar panels that are used in solar farms, like that, that's generating electricity straight from sunlight, as opposed to using uh, that electricity to somehow turn water into steam, that would be ridiculous, you would lose way too much energy in that approach. But things like coal fired plants, even nuclear power plants, you're talking about generating electricity by heating up water into steam and using that steam to turn a turbine to do work. And that turbine ends up being an electric generator, and you get electricity from that. So the the purpose of the solar tower is really just to collect heat. That's it. It's not doing anything magical. It's just generating tons and tons of heat. I know that tons is not really a a unit when it comes to heat or temperature, but you understand what I mean. It creates an enormous amount of heat, and the molten salts then go into a big storage tank. And it's pretty cool because that storage tank... Uh, ends up being a, a way of holding on to the heat for a long time. According to Solar Reserve, the company says that the molten salt only loses one degree of Fahrenheit, or about 0. 0.555, et cetera, et cetera, degrees Celsius in heat per day. So in other words, if you have a long stretch of overcast days, you still have this massive vat really tank, it's not a vat, it's a tank because it's completely enclosed, of molten salts, and they hold on to that heat, which means you can continuously pump that through your uh, water tank in order to heat water up to steam. And when I say pump you pump it through, it's a very similar circuit that you would find at the top of the receiver. The uh, The molten salts don't mix with the water. Instead, you have a pipe that runs through the water tank, the molten salts run through the pipe and transfer some of their heat to the water through the material of the pipe itself. So you're not letting the molten salts and the water mix together. That would be ridiculous. Instead, you're having the molten salts move through a pathway. And as they move through that pathway, they heat up the water. The water turns to steam, turns the turbine. Then the steam goes through a condenser to condense the steam back into water and it goes back into the water tank. So once you use the molten salts to transfer some of this heat, they, they've lost that thermal energy. They're now moving into a different tank. Uh, it's a tank to pump the liquid salts back up into the top of the tower. So the neat thing with this system is that you can use it to deliver electricity day or night. You've got so much stored heat. After you get the system up and running, and it's generated enough molten salt, like it's created enough molten salt through this process to allow this to happen. You can deliver electricity on demand 24 hours a day. And that's how all power plants work. They deliver electricity on demand. They're not, uh, set to a certain level. And then if you don't meet that level, they, you know, just that electricity goes to waste. They base it upon what the current demand. And I don't mean that as a pun, but it came out of it that way. Chris would be so proud. They don't, they respond to whatever the, the demand is at that time to produce the amount of electricity needed. So, super interesting way of doing this by using the sun as an energy source to create the heat needed to turn water into steam and turn a turbine, as opposed to a fossil fuel like coal or oil, or a nuclear fuel in the case of nuclear fusion. Now, if we ever are, uh, fission, I should say, nuclear fission, I know all of you were ready to write in, and you should be, because that was a silly mistake I made. Nuclear fusion, if we ever crack that nut, solar towers may seem quaint in comparison, but that's a very difficult problem in physics to to solve, so we're still waiting on that. So the neat thing about this, obviously, is that if you do have that amount of space, you can really offset a lot of a community's electricity needs with a solar tower, and uh the company thinks that the lifespan of these solar towers is somewhere in the area of about 30 years uh meaning that after 30 years we would have to start to replace parts because just of wear and tear or they they would not be as uh, uh efficient as they had previously been so for example those panels if the panels become less efficient at transferring heat over time You would definitely want to replace them because you would be transferring less heat to generate – your molten salts would be at a lower temperature. It would require more of them to turn water into steam. It would become less efficient overall. So you have to make sure that uh, all the parts are working. There are very few moving parts, which is awesome. But you have to make sure they're working throughout the lifetime of the facility and then obviously replace parts as needed. So the question then becomes, does it make financial sense to switch over to using solar towers at least to offset electricity generation in a particular area? To answer that question, you have to look at a lot of different factors, and it is way more complicated than just a simple yes or no. For one thing, uh, how much solar exposure is the area getting? Obviously, if you're not getting a lot, then that's not going to be a good choice for solar towers, uh, or a good place to put a solar tower, I should say. Uh, also, not just where and, and, you know, what time of year do you get solar exposure? Those would be two big things, but how much does electricity cost in that region already? And the reason why you have to ask that question is if you were to provide electricity through the solar reserve system, Would it make financial sense to make that switch? If coal is incredibly cheap in the area, then financially it might make more sense to stick with coal, even though we all know there are big environmental drawbacks to using coal. You create a lot of fossil fuels. You have a big carbon footprint that way. But it's hard to argue with the dollar cost of energy. If that dollar cost is higher with solar reserve that's a tough sell because not everyone's willing to spend more money to keep their homes, uh, uh, you know, supplied with electricity just so that they have a lower carbon footprint with the electricity generation. It's just the, the truth of the matter. And some people don't have the money to afford the luxury, obviously. Now, if solar reserve is able to be significantly less expensive than whatever the alternatives are, that's a huge win for solar towers. So it's a lot of different questions along those lines. Uh, obviously there are other questions to ask, like what is the carbon footprint of actually building the solar tower? But I would argue that whatever it is, it probably is significantly less than the carbon footprint produced over the lifetime of a coal plant or a gas plant or oil plant. Um, I think that's pretty, a pretty fair assumption, but it still could be a very large upfront, uh, carbon footprint creation there. So that's kind of the approach that I wanted to talk about, this idea of being able to generate electricity 24 hours a day using sun power without it being a solar panel. And I thought it was a really cool uh, approach to that, something that could really get around a tricky problem with solar power. Because uh, I, I know a lot of critics point out, hey, if the sun's not shining, then you're not making electricity. Well... That's true with your traditional solar panels, but not with solar towers, assuming that you don't enter into some cataclysmic event where you've got crazy overcast skies for a really long time. In which case, if we do have that, we're going to have other problems besides where we get our electricity. Um, Oh, and you might want to know how much electricity can one of these – facilities generate. It would be good for me to tell you that. So solar reserve says that depending on the plant design, it can generate between 50 and 200 megawatts of electricity. And one megawatt is enough power to supply around a thousand homes. So you're talking about with one solar tower facility between 50,000 and 200,000 homes. Obviously, there are a lot of cities that are bigger than that, and in order to supply the electricity for those cities, you would need multiple solar tower facilities to to do that. Uh, And again, that's another question, is where would this be most appropriate? Obviously, a lot of desert towns that have medium to small populations, this would be an amazing approach to generating electricity, but it might not work for someplace like New York City. For multiple reasons, the population size, the lack of land to dedicate to solar power. Obviously, that's another issue is that if you are going to dedicate a land to a solar tower facility, you're not able to use that land for other stuff, at least not easily. So that's another consideration. Obviously, you don't want to end up going to a place where you're dedicating land that could be otherwise used for a more productive purpose. Uh, possibly not energy related. It might be food related or water or something along those lines. So a lot of things to take into consideration, but I think it's a very elegant approach to generating electricity in a, re- using a renewable resource, the sun's energy, and very low impact to the environment. The molten salts are inert. They're not dangerous. Uh, I mean, they're obviously dangerous in their temperature. You would not want to touch them while they're at 1,050 degrees Fahrenheit, but they're not, uh, dangerous to the environment. Uh, and these, again, the, the systems are separate. The water system and the salt system are separate from each other. So I think it's a really interesting approach. Now, I'm curious to hear what you guys think about the most promising energy sources for the future. Do you really think that solar power is going to become a, a major way to offset our electricity generation? I'm pretty sure. I feel fairly confident it's never going to be the primary way we generate electricity, I don't think it's practical enough to be our primary, but I certainly see it as a very strong contender for a support uh, system, something that can offset some of our electricity needs. But what do you think? Do you think there are other ones that are better? Do you think wind power is better than solar or maybe uh, maybe you think uh, hydropower is better? Maybe you think geothermal Maybe you're looking for that nuclear fusion approach. If that break, if there is a breakthrough in nuclear fusion, that would be an enormous benefit to all of humanity, because we would suddenly be capable of going into an era of energy surplus, which would that'd be phenomenal. And I hope it happens, but there are a lot of challenges to get out of the way first. And maybe I'll do a full episode about nuclear fusion in the in the future and and talk about why it's such a tricky issue. But guys, I want to hear what you think. Where do you think the future of our energy comes from? Let me know. Send me an email. Our address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com or drop me a line on Facebook or Twitter. At both of those, you can find me with the handle techstuffhsw. And I'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.